Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. Bet365 has wall-to-wall Premier League football, and with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment via live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello, I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. This week, we are talking about that man, Jaden Sancho, once again. Who's going to be Manchester United's number one? What's going to happen to Manchester United this season? And uh, as ever, I'm joined by two of the best Manchester United reporters on God's Green Earth. Number one, Mr. Andy Mitten, editor of United We Stand, who also writes for us here at The Athletic. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? Hi, Carl. All good. Nice to join you. Whereabouts in the world are you today? I'm in Barcelona in Spain, having spent time in Lisbon for the Champions League and I'm coming back to Manchester shortly. I will say when you do make it to Manchester, could you please take me out for a non-alcoholic beverage? No problem. Fresh from holiday, you missed them last week, so we dragged him back from Cornwall where he was enjoying a lovely non-alcoholic cider. Um, it's Laurie Whitwell, who, like me, covers Manchester United for The Athletic. Hi, Laurie. How are you doing? I'm good, Carl. I'm refreshed. Uh, yeah, it was lovely down in Cornwall. We had a couple of days, or a couple of hours, rather, of sunshine. Uh, the rest was a bit cloudy, but some lovely food, a great experience, and I'm, I'm, I'm good to be back there. Don't forget, listener, you can access all of our Manchester United writing on The Athletic and more by going to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod, where new subscribers can get 30 days for free. Um, there's loads of fantastic reads on there at the moment, including the finale to the Premier League 60 project, which you can expect has a number of Manchester United players on it. Right now, you can read excellent pieces from Jack Lang on the grace and guile of Ryan Giggs and Cristiano Ronaldo. Oliver Kay has done a fantastic ode to Eric Cantona. And uh, you can join us as we have a large discussion about who came up number one. Also on the website right now, you can look at Manchester United squad depth as they go into new season, as well as a season preview. Number one. Literally, number one. Um, who's going to be Manchester United's goalkeeper this season? Laurie, I believe you've just written a piece on Sergio Romero and his interesting position as uh, Manchester United's number two goalkeeper. Yeah, it was a piece that came out after Dean Henderson signed his new long-term deal, which was kind of expected uh, that the Henderson would do that. But the question was whether he would go straight out on loan again or whether he would be you know, retained at the club and Sheffield United's purchase of Aaron Ramsdale from Bournemouth and the fact that Henderson stayed gave a real clear indication that Oli Solskjaer had spoken to Henderson and said listen I want you to come back and compete with David De Gea to be number one at Manchester United and that is what Dean Henderson wanted to hear and it was something that we uh, had written in a piece speaking to Eric Steele who Andy and I know um, who obviously brought David De Gea over to Manchester United he said that he thought that the time could be now for, for Dean Henderson to come back and, and challenge for that number one role so that's sort of where it's at with those two guys 
wise, which means United are really well stocked for, for goalkeepers. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be up to Solskjaer to, to sort of navigate between the two players. It's not going to be easy. You know, you're going to have one or the other on the bench sort of wanting that number one shirt. It's not going to be as settled a situation as it was when Sergio Romero was on the bench, sort of knowing that he was the number two and, and, and sort of stepping in for those Europa League and FA Cup matches. So it's, it's going to be a delicate balance, but it's going to be an interesting one. And, and the idea is that it will raise standards um, in the goalkeeping department overall. We'll see if Dean Henderson's really good enough to be Manchester United number one, which is something he feels he is. We'll see if it gets David De Gea back to the levels that won him, you know, four uh, player of the season awards at United and, and, and five PFA team of the years um, as the goalkeeper position. So, but that means that there's a, a decision on Sergio Romero now because he was um, happy to be number two. He was um, enjoying the games that he would be brought in on. We kind of got an indication as to where it might be going when De Gea was picked firstly for the FA Cup semi-final and then also for the Europa League semi-final. That did leave um, Romero disappointed. Um, Solskjaer did speak to him beforehand though and explained his decision. So th- there's been communication from the manager. Um, there's a little bit of frustration, I think, on, from Romero's part that Theo for Dean Henderson and the fact that he was going to stay and become number one hasn't been sort of directly communicated to him. He's kind of had to read between the lines uh, on that one. Uh, which, you know, I suppose that is sometimes how it go- how it goes in football, but I would have thought, you know, a direct call to him would have been an, an appropriate thing to do. Nevertheless, we're here now, so it's up to, you know, the people that work on behalf of him to sort of figure out the best move for him. He, he might well stay at United, but I think they are certainly work- working on a, a potential exit for him. Um, and in the piece that I write, Aston Villa are the most, um, have shown the most interest. They're, they're definitely in the market for a goalkeeper. Although uh, my colleague Greg Evans, who, who covers Aston Villa for us, has reported that a bid has gone in for Emmy Martinez at Arsenal. So they've obviously got a couple of options, Aston Villa. But Romero would be a, a lower cost option, albeit an older one um, for Villa. So it's, it's something to be explored. He's on a good wage. Dean Henderson's wage is also very good. As we know, David De Gea wage is very good so I mean United are you know in the goalkeeping department probably spending upwards of £600,000 a week probably more than if you include Lee Grant as well certainly more than um, on, on goalkeepers so that they do need to figure out that situation there because it's you know it's a lot of money to be committing so I think that's why they will look to get Romero a new club where he could play more regularly because as it stands you've got De Gea and, and Henderson who are going to vie for that number one spot between them. I think David De Gea has got to start and if he makes the mistakes that he made last season then you've got the pressure from a a very confident Dean Henderson. I think the situation is positive. If you look back to where United were before De Gea signed his new contract over a year ago there was a lot of uncertainty about the goalkeeping position. I think there's a lot of certainty now in terms of the talent there and I know there's a feeling within the club that with Dean Henderson breathing down De Gea's neck that will put pressure there, which hasn't always been there. And I feel slightly hypocritical saying that because I've also said that Sergio Romero is probably the best number two. He's never let the team down. Uh, But there's definitely been a feeling that um, David has not been put under the pressure that he could have been. And that's certainly something that Eric Steele would go along with, but also people within the club. There's been some changes within the coaching department in the last year at the club as well. So I think kick up the backside for a nice northernism for, for David might not yeah. do him any harm. Uh, Sergio's 33. There's been a couple of times where he's been amenable to leaving. He was really upset in 2015 when he felt that he did well, which he did. Uh, Swansea goal away aside. 
and then lost his place as soon as David came back into the team. Uh, he's played quite a lot of matches, 10, 18, 10, 6. He played 17 times last season. So he's not going to come anything close to that number if he's number three. So he feels that he could be playing first-team football. Um, United would would definitely sell him if they, they got the a, a, a right amount for him. I don't know what that amount is, but clearly... He's, he's great as a number two, but he's not needed as a as a number three. He's an experienced goalkeeper. He had a lot of changes in his career. Before he came to United, he got the call at pretty short notice and flew out on one of the pre-season tours to join up with United. But I think he's been successful. He's a decent person. I've spoke to him absolutely loads. He's a big fan of, of Racing, the club where he started out his career in, in Buenos Aires. And... You can see the attraction. Go and play 40 games for whoever in the Premier League. is probably good enough to be in the Premier League. But it's a problem that United have got across the board. He earns good money. And United are struggling to get rid of other players because he earns too much money. So, as a footballer, do you want to take a slight cut and play every week? I think that they should, but I'm not the one making the decision. Harry's sponsors Talk of the Devils podcast. Brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced raises. Jeff and Harry knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. There's a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So, if you're in the middle of lockdown and your beard isn't quite the way you want it, I'd recommend getting a bit of Harry's. And the great news is, as a listener of Talk of Devils podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and you can get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash devils right now. That's harrys.com slash devils. Laurie, should we enter the Sancho section already? It's up to you, Carl. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> why not? I mean, we got a... So I asked, uh, you know, as I do every week when I'm, when I'm working, when I'm not on holiday in Cornwall having alcoholic ciders, I must confess, not, not <gasps> alcoholic. Um, we, we get, yeah, I asked for questions on Twitter and um, a lot of them relate to Sancho and uh, Mohamed Sharif's uh, question uh, basically just was the obvious one, Sancho, uh, which instantly made me think of Martin Tyler and, and that dreadful day in, in 20. 2012 uh, when a certain Aguero uh, did did his business but yeah I suppose listen Sancho it's not really that different I don't think from when I last <laughs> spoke on it um, but I did check in with um, people um, that are sort of familiar with the talks and it's a similar situation where you're looking at actually having to sort the wages and the agent fee primarily I think the agent fee is, is something that is an issue listen it's a big deal so agents will be remunerated well it's which is fair and, and what happens in in modern football United see the see that total as a, a less as a smaller sum than uh, what is currently being asked so that's where the impasse is at at the moment but you know it's safe to say that United are still working on it it's not dead from the point of which you know but Dortmund suggested that anything after August 10th would be final that's that's not the case club's still working hard on it and if that gets resolved then they would move on to agreeing a structure with Dortmund um, the club do have other options in place if Sancho doesn't work 
you know, there's other positions as well, as we've seen with Donny van der Beek. You know, it's it, central midfield was something that they'd looked at improving um, at numerous points in, in the past seasons, and that deal made sense to do it now. So that so they they aren't beholden to doing a right winger. You know, absolutely, but clearly that is a priority position, and the Sancho thing is is still rumbling on. I, you know, I, I don't know which way it'll fall. I'm, I'm kind of you know fifty fifty on it really. Um, I think it could be a situation where if you know demands are are lowered that United suddenly do it and, and, and press the button on it and it, it gets sorted but then again I can also see where you know people hold firm in their their requests and it doesn't get done so that's kind of where we're at with Sancho I think unless Andy you'd like to add anything else into it yeah I agree with with, with what you're saying there Laurie uh, I've said long that I cannot see United playing 120 outright if a deal's done it will be structured an agent told me a month ago and the agent who told me has done some of the biggest deals in world football in recent years he said the barometer has not been set for the transfer market this summer and he feels or he felt at the time that the prices would be set with the first major deal and he said he suspected that would be Havertz to Chelsea he said don't um buyer are asking for 90 million let's see if, if Chelsea pay that and they didn't they paid 62 plus some extras but even then Chelsea were saying he's not our record transfer fee signing so buyer was saying 90 90 90 in the same way that Borussia have been saying 120 so that might be encouraging for United he remains the number one target the manager absolutely wants him to come in the manager feels that um there needs to be more signings and top quality signings as well, not just fillers, um, players who are going to improve Manchester United's first eleven and allow him to continue the good work, pushing on in closing that gap between City and Liverpool. And that United have long got those type of players. It's difficult to get them. I used a line on Friday, extracting diamonds is difficult. And it's more difficult because of the financial situation around COVID. United are going to see a drop in income. There's no match day revenue. Um, there's already been, already been one rebate to broadcasters. There's a nervousness that there might be more if all the games can't be played out. Um, sponsors depend on the general health of the global economy. So United is a well-run and diverse business, but there's still a lot of nervousness at the club as there are at other football clubs about revenues going forward against that you've got the football side saying we need top quality we need people like Jaden Sancho as Laurie says there are there are a plan B plan C I've said that right throughout but even then these are players who are say yeah we want to join Manchester United and their club will probably say no well we absolutely don't want to sell you so that would have to start a whole line of negotiations. What United are doing at the moment is spinning a lot of plates. Um, they're, they're saying to people, keep us abreast. So there's, there's probably 20 different players who United retain an interest in. Uh, and that's just at first team level. Below first team level, United continuing to push um, to sign um, a player in, in Spain who's, who's very, very highly rated. Um, I might write more on that when when I can do. So teasing us active. there, Andy. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, you know what it's like, Laurie. Sometimes as a journalist, you get asked to to not write it. And you know, someone separately um, last night asked me to ask about a defender. And the person who asked me is usually on the ball, but he just said, 
Uh, he'd been told it by someone who was hit and miss with his information and can you check it out? And then I, I, I checked it out and the person's getting back to me. So the problem with the transfer stuff is um, people want definite answers and they want to be told yesterday. And it's not it's not possible to do that. You know, United are interested in lots of players. And the other problem that the club have got, which they can do very little about, is agents link their clients to Manchester United. And what did the club? What can the club do about that? Can they come out and say no, it's not true? Because the minute they don't come out and say it's not true, then people will go, ah, now this must be true. So there's lots of issues going on there. I think the signing of Donny was absolutely welcomed. Um, I spoke to a lot of people about him, got loads of positives back. But uh, if the transfer ended now and there was only one signing, I think that would be a disappointing transfer window. Not just for the fans who were always demanding more players, but also. Um, for, for the coaches who've made the improvements and feel that they're keeping their part of the deal. Um, but but it's it's tricky. And then people say, yeah, but Chelsea, I'm sorry, Chelsea are owned by an oligarch. They're playing to a completely different set of rules and fans might not always want to hear that, but, but that's the truth of it. If you're going to tell me that oligarchs only football clubs is a good thing, then that's a different discussion. Hmm. I think when you look at Sancho and, and they're adding up all the different um, aspects of it in terms of the transfer fee, in terms of the agents, in terms of the wages over you know five, six years, you're probably looking at £200 million plus investment. And I can understand you know taking time over that kind of you know uh, commitment um, clearly as you say you know Solskjaer wants him in the door um, he's made that very clear I think he's, he's made his own inquiries on that front and, and sort of made his feelings known um, you know personally so I, 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 that's where they're at but as you say in, the, in this current climate it's, it's difficult to you know just say you know absolutely straight away yes hit the money on that because I can understand why they they are trying to negotiate but as you say if if it if the transfer window ends with just Donny van der Beek I think that's disappointing because um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did really well in getting United to the Champions League qualification places and, and now it's a platform that they can really kick on. Speaking of potential new signings, uh, we've got one question here from Nora McElroy on Twitter who asked us. Thank you very much for getting a question in. Who basically goes to Laurie, do you have any news regarding Sergio Regulon? The left-back currently playing for Sevilla but is on loan from Real Madrid has been linked to Manchester United a lot, so much so that we featured him in our squad depth profile. Laurie, could this man be starting left-back for Manchester United this season. I read that piece, Carl, you and Tom Warville. It was a really interesting piece, um, looking at the stats, wasn't it, and, and how similar or not he is to what United have already got in, in position. Um, Luke Shaw, weirdly, you know, comes out very very similarly, doesn't he, for his, for those kind of attacking bursts. And, and that natural left-sidedness is something that United are looking at, clearly, as we've seen with the left-footed centre-back, that they have tried to um, see if anybody out there suits um, the standards that they're after. There's a difference between United actively pursuing somebody and that person being offered to them I think that's it's the latter category in, in this regard I think he's surplus to requirements really at Real Madrid and the price that they've put on him isn't all that much in the current climate you're looking at sort of 18-20 million pounds clearly he's got good pedigree starting for Sevilla in Europa League doing well got a good attacking potential you've got Luke Shaw there in that position and you've got Brandon Williams albeit Brandon Williams is, is naturally right-footed so you think okay could that actually then mean he shifts back across to sort of right back where he hasn't really played consistently since he was sort of 15-16 there's certainly people at the club that like Regulon I think it's it's one to potentially watch I would be reluctant to say definitely keep your eye on it it's, it's, it's going to happen to any great degree but I, I think it's one that you know is being considered you know how strongly 
only time will tell and I think it probably will be a case of what else happens in the market before United actually perhaps enact um, any uh, interest that they, they do have it's, it's more it's more coming from you know the player and, and, and Real Madrid I think you know sort of offering up to United rather than the other way around Speaking of other defensive reinforcements uh, Manchester United are also being linked to Red Bull Leipzig's uh, Dale Upamecano um, so Joe Starbuck asks, with our likely centre-back options, do you believe Manchester United should sign someone? Or is it a case of Rojo coming back and slotting straight in? Andy, I want to throw this to you first. Do you think Manchester United need another centre-back? I can see the argument for it. I think the central defensive partnership is a good one, but is good good enough for Manchester United when we've had Vidic and Rio Ferdinand over the years? I, I did ask about... Um, the, the Leipzig defender, and you're going to tell me how to pronounce it properly, I'm not even going to attempt to, and got told that that was unlikely uh, for this summer. And one of the reasons is that there are already um, 79 different central defenders at the club, and it's a question of getting rid of some of them. Uh, Marcus Rojo has come back specifically to play against Leeds United away, you wonder. <laughs> and, you know, he's been written off. If he leaves tomorrow, it will just go with like, yeah, that's that's him done, and I, and I totally get that. He's been injured far too much. The number of games he's played is is pitiful. But look at it from the manager's perspective. He's watching his trainers every day, and what if he's doing really well? You know, what if he thinks he's worth his place back into the team? Just saying that is something which will have United fans shaking their heads. And I get that. And I'm not going to state a case here um, for Marcus Rojo. He's had enough chances. But I think the club have got to move out some of the central defenders. Chris Smalling was one who did really well last year in Rome. I went to see him for the Athletic. He would be the most in-demand one. I did a lot of work in the Champions League with with Swedish um, football professionals. Um, They were very much fighting the case for Lindelof, saying... He does Harry Maguire's dirty work. His positioning is very good. I'd say that Maguire's stock is good among United fans. He's seen as having a, a decent first season. He, he improved as well when he became captain, when he started connecting with some of Bruno Fernandes' his free kicks. But the stats are quite good. United's defence was pretty decent um, last season. But I think you can put a question mark over the goalkeeper, the right-back, the, the central defenders and the left-back. We already spoke of three of those four positions uh, in, in, in this chat. So I think you're seeing sevens and eight out of tens uh, on good days, but there's not the conviction that this is an absolute stellar defence. And yet, Ollie said he wanted to build first from the back, and he fe- he's felt that he has done that. Does he have a Van Dijk there? No. Do you need a Van Dijk when you're going to be winning the league and going for the Champions League? You you probably do. So it's 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 a difficult one because the priorities probably aren't in central defence at the moment. There are niggling little doubts, and they came to the fore in the final game of the season against Sevilla when the defence was culpable for for both of the goals. Before that, I thought the defence had done a had improved a lot in, in 2020. I think it's something of a glass jaw effect with Manchester United. So you have a player like Aaron Wan-Bissaka who is legitimately the best one-on-one defender you have in the Premier League at the moment and he's able to shut down the right-hand side and win the ball in advanced positions and stop that back four from being made vulnerable. But also you're also seeing teams beginning to double up on Wan-Bissaka and giving him trouble. And 
basically using him as a pressing trigger, which is causing extra disorganisation in the rest of that back four, back five. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a point, yeah. A left-footed centre-back would be nice, and I'm wondering if that left-footed centre-back is just going to end up being Marcos Rojo again. Well, the alternative is, you know, don't you know, uh, shoot me down too quickly. Luke Shaw, um, you know, I know he played in, as a left-sided centre-back in a back three, and it's, it's drastically different to then doing that in a, in a back four. But there are certain people that think, you know, you could have Regulon as the left um, back and Luke Shaw as the left-sided centre-half. Crazy things have happened. I know he's not very tall, um, but that's that's potentially one avenue. I don't really hold any ill will towards Marcus Rojo. I think he's a kind of a maverick uh, figure, isn't he? He kind of, he, he can go a bit off-piste with what he does on the pitch. I quite like that devilment occasionally. I would like him to... I think with the as you as you say there, Carl, you know that the fact that he's left-footed, he knows the game, and he actually helped Brandon Williams, for example, talked him through a lot of the positional situations that he found himself in in that left wing back role, particularly away at Chelsea. So he is a useful character to have around the place, and. By all accounts, I don't think that he is desperate to go back to Argentina again. He's he's done that passage, you know, last season, um, and you know he is on good money. So who's going to afford to to pay those wages if it's not going to be a kind of golden goodbye or you know a loan where United are supplementing it? So I, I can see value in in having him at the club. Um, but I, I'm like you, I, I, it is an area of the, of the team that is an interesting one that that could be explored in future. Support for Talk of the Devils is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped was just launched in the United Kingdom. We've gone years now without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the very first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst you're in the shower. To celebrate this, we've got a special for you right now for everyone listening to Talk With The Devils. You can get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. All you have to do is use the free code EPL20. Happy shaving. Over to other footballing news, and it is the middle of an international break. One that Mason Greenwood will be sent back home early for. So uh, from the great high of making his England debut to the uh, slightly uncomfortable low of being sent home early for breaking the COVID bubble. I understand that partway through this podcast, Mason Greenwood's issued a statement. Yeah, I think we were expecting something from the player himself, Carl, um, after United released their own statement, which was quite firm, really, expressing their disappointment and uh, effectively um, saying that they would look at whether he would return to training straight away. I think they, their idea is that because there's not um, you know, quarantine regulations with Iceland directly, that um, there isn't actually a need for him to quarantine once he's back, um, you know, as per the government, but nonetheless, that still leaves um, the club themselves with a decision to make as to whether they will allow him back in. Uh, I guess he'll be tested and make sure that he's, he's negative for coronavirus first before that even is considered. But there might still be some uh, disciplinary action to be taken um, before that happens. And he's he has now released a statement himself. It's through the club, so obviously the, he's, he's had people at the club talking through the issue, um, clearly been spoken to, and this is something that he's put his name to. And it's uh, basically, you know, expresses great regret. Um, he's had the chance to reflect on what's happened and he's apologised for the embarrassment that he's caused. Uh, in particular, he wants to apologise to Gareth Southgate for letting him down when he's shown a great deal of trust in him. I think that's the key point because Gareth Southgate has championed him 
Um, he's put him straight back in, straight into the squad rather, sorry, after his excellent end of the season, played him as a substitute against Iceland um, and he's expressed how playing for England was one of the proudest moments of his life and he's only himself to blame for this huge mistake and he's said that he'll learn from this lesson, which I think is, is right. Um, it clearly was the wrong thing to do. I think in the circumstances we're in, you know, him and Phil Foden have to realise they're elite footballers, they're away you know, playing for the country and they just have to do things by the book. It's probably not the worst sin in the world to, you know, try and have, uh, you know, a little bit of fun. I think you have to have some um, reflection on the fact that this has been an extremely difficult um, passage of time for, for young people across the country who are having to alter their uh, habits, you know, more so than perhaps other uh, sections of society you know ideally as at that age you just want to mix don't you, you want to be sociable that being said they're away playing for England you can you can I think just be with your teammate just you know in your room you don't have to regardless of coronavirus uh, sort of stipulations it shouldn't be the first thought to you know invite a couple of girls um, to your hotel room whatever the situation you know around it is um, so listen I think the statement's correct. The tone of it's right. Hopefully that is what he's thinking and feeling and he knows that he will learn from it because he's an extremely talented player and you just don't need stuff like this to cloud your, your breakthrough into international football and then the start of the season for your club. Alex Tierney asks us on Twitter, do you think there'll be any backlash from United on the striker? No, not at all. Same with uh, Harry Maguire. Uh, United fans will defend their own. They'll They'll support him. Boys being boys, but as Laurie says, there is a responsibility that comes when you are an elite um, sports person, and you've got to be careful that everything's on camera now. We're not seeing what happened 20, 30 years ago when, if the players would go to Iceland, they'd have 15 pints and then invite some girls back to the, <laughs> the hotel room. And I had one. Um, Icelandic agent messaged me yesterday saying, I'm really glad social media wasn't around um, 25 years ago when England English footballers visited uh, Iceland. What will happen with, with Mason, apart from the statement from United, is that privately he'll be reminded of his responsibilities pretty sternly as well. He's someone who is hugely talented, but he's got, a, it's got to be reminded, and he's been reminded before, Listen to your coaches. Uh, your 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 life is is not normal in many ways, um, and there's good advice there. There's the players when they arrive at Carrington, they're just told just leave your phones at the door. Uh, we know there's a lot more people surrounding players than when we played. We know it's not the manager is not the only voice you'll be getting. You've not just got an agent. You've got a social media manager. You've got financial people working for you. So the manager's got to find his voice in and among all that, and it's got to be a respected voice. And I think United give their players a lot of freedom because they feel that if a player's happy, you know, if Marcus Rashford wants to do all his, his, his charity work, then if he's happy, he's more likely to be playing well um, for, for the team. But Greenwood will be reminded... Um, I'm sure he'll make more transgressions. Some of them will get out. Some of them won't. He's not the first footballer that this has has happened to, and he's learned a lesson. You know, next time, if he's if he's in Iceland again, because Iceland have got a decent team now, uh, he might think twice about it. But it's just another warning that everything is now um, on phones, and 
it's part of the price you've got to pay for being a public figure and a very famous footballer because if it would have been a Brentford player in Iceland would never have made headline news but you're not you're a Manchester United player and you're an England player and with that come a lot of pluses but some negatives as well on to another Manchester United player on international duty and it's Donny van der Beek with a fantastic well a heartfelt goodbye shall we say while playing uh, for the Netherlands um, we've got a question here from Roger Sterling who essentially asks how can Dean Henderson be making the same money as van der Beek is it a further sign that wages and fees for English players are out of control uh, Laurie you're the man of numbers Tell me more. Uh, it's a fair question um, because, you know, Dean Henderson's vying for the number one spot. Um, van der Beek has come in for a, a good transfer fee and you, you'd think he's going to be um, playing perhaps more regularly than Dean Henderson, certainly to begin with. Um, but th- the context is that where their previous deals were at. So Dean Henderson signed uh, a new long-term deal at United uh, last summer ahead of going on loan to Sheffield United. And that was a good deal in itself, uh, I'm told, around sort of £70,000 a week. So any new deal beyond that is going to be a significant rise, particularly if he's now being asked to really challenge David De Gea for that number one slot and we know that David De Gea is elfed on a good amount of money so the, the the kind of the fee that he's being paid has to reflect that um, Van der Beek comes from uh, a, a league where the wages are much uh, less um, you know the, the money in, in the game in, in Holland is, is just that's the way it is I think he was on about £30,000 a week so his rise is actually more you know, proportionally, it is bigger than Henderson's for this you know, latest deal that he's on. So that's kind of the, the the scene. I mean, listen, performances dictate how much you get paid. If one or the other goes and has an absolute stormer, then I'm sure they might well get a further raise in time. So, um, but it is all about performances and, and kind of the context of, of where they come from. But those scenes were, were pretty spectacular, weren't they? From from Holland, that that he it um, was serenaded. It was quite touching to see, and it kind of gives a a good. Uh, indication of what the kind of character that he is that, that United will be getting. I know, Andy, you you watched those, didn't you, with with particular keen eye? Those scenes from Holland uh, and the great and Ajax fans are great and and Feyenoord fans are as well. I always remember the 2017 Europa League final. 90 minutes before the match, the Ajax uh, section, which was half the ground, was absolutely packed. Everyone was singing Bob Marley songs, and the United section was 20 percent full. And I tweeted a picture of it saying the difference between English fans and the rest. And mates of mine were going, why would you get in a football ground 90 minutes before the start when you can be in the pub? So it showed a real cultural difference between uh, the, the two of them. I like the fact that Donny knows who Ajax's main fans are, the fans who go home and away. That he's got that connection that can go outside the ground, have a good sing song with them, jump up and round uh, in front of them be serenaded by them and leave with their best wishes. Ajax need the money. Uh, Their economics are completely different to to the Premier League, obviously, but also to the Bundesliga. The TV contracts are much smaller. And I spoke to Stephen Pienaar on Friday, who's a coach at Ajax, as well as some Ajax fans, and they were just unanimous. Great player, leaving with our best wishes. They were, like, proud that he was going. And I just thought, if that would have been Man United, that would never happen because you'd be gutted to be losing your best players. So Ajax are really, really well supported. I've spent a bit of time with their fans. I was lucky enough to be in the Bernabeu when they beat Real Madrid last year. It's the best game of football I saw last year. And Donny played in that team. That's the only time I've seen him play, to my knowledge, live. 
and they were brilliant. They were singing Always Look on the Bright Side of Life um, at the end of the game in, in English, and they'll be watching him. But a couple of things Stephen Pienaar said, which I was interested in, he went from Ajax to Germany, to Everton, and he felt that the time in Germany really helped him, the step between and he just said, be patient with him because he knows him. He sees him all the time. He's a coach at Ajax. But uh, look at the other players who've gone from Holland to England. And he mentioned Depay. It's not always a quick fit. And I think Donny still not the completed player. He's obviously highly rated. United see goals in him. But he needs time. And physically, Stephen said he'll be fine for, for the Premier League. But maybe not make a snatch judgment after three or four games um, but it's good that he's gone with the best wishes of Ajax fans and I like the fan culture in, in Holland I did a book on derby games and I travelled around the world to write it and I went to 26 derby games and at, at none of them did I see a security operation as big as that between Ajax and Feyenoord there were seven lines separating the two sets of fans stewards police police with dogs army Nuclear weapons, ambulances. <laughs> it was, it was a sight to behold. But that just shows how, how important that game is. Here's one question here. It's from someone called Carl, uh, and it's directed, I think, towards me. The new Manchester United third kit. Why are Adidas embarrassing us? Asked Carl Davis. Uh, yeah, Manchester United. <laughs> Manchester United have a new black and white. Uh, third kit in the press release refers to it as a hacked design or a uh, disruptive design I've currently editing a piece on it that will be on the athletic website by the time you get to read it and uh, it's going to be a conversation starter Laurie what do you think about this kit um, I mean I find it hard to get too vexed about kits just because um, I've not bought one for years. Uh, the last one I think I bought was that gold and white reversible one from uh, 2001-2 season, which I, I basically bought because it's two for the price of one, you know. So uh, <laughs> I was I was undercutting the club there. Um, but uh, listen, they're obviously, they designed these third kits with the purpose of attracting attention, um, creating a bit of a buzz, you know, for good or for bad. Um, and I guess the demographic that they're sort of trying to sell towards is slightly different than what I would go for necessarily. You know, you've got David Beckham who's been pictured in it. He obviously looks pretty good in it, but that's David Beckham. I, I'm not sure that everybody <laughs> who wears it would look quite as, as smooth as him. Um, the price is obviously the thing that I take issue with, you know, and the fact that it's like every year that these kits come out now, uh, which obviously a massive uh, money generating scheme um, for, you know, the club. But then again, if, if you're a fan, you know, you don't have to buy the kits. Um, you can see them for what they are. You could take your pick, you know, every few years. If you, if you like a kit, you know, buy it. I, I would always suggest the red kit. You know, it just is Manchester United. So um, it would be weird sort of seeing them wear it, I guess, in Premier League matches. But I don't think we'll, you know, in years to come, they'll probably remember this kit. And, and that's kind of what Adidas, I think, are going for. Um, you know, you can criticise that if you want. But I, personally, I, I find it too, I find it a bit difficult to get too angry about it. <laughs> I've spoken to Indigo Turner, the design director behind this kit. And he mentioned uh, the snow, the snowflake kit from 1991, the blue and white kit that is now often regarded as one of the best Manchester United away kits of all time. And and he argued that at the time of its release, the kit was not, the 1991 kit was not the most uh, well accepted. Andy, you were there. 
How was that kit received? I think that was the last kit that I bought. I loved it. I <laughs> think we it go, was then. well. I think it was well received at the time, and it was at a time where the hacienda was flying, and it seemed to resonate with a the Manchester. You know, wow, this is a bit funky. And if the team plays well in a kit, then that adds to the memories as well. And and that's the kit that United wore when they put six past Arsenal away in November. 91 so i've got happy memories of it um and with laurie it's not a massive deal for me i can remember throughout the noughties and 90s every two years i would get a load of phone calls from the media and then it was even bbc one it was headline news you must be disgusted that manchester united have changed their kit again uh for the second time and i just asked around parents and they said well my son my daughter they wear it every other day we think we get good value out of it. Um, look at the away end when United play. Look how many kits you see. There are almost none. It's a different demographic, as Laurie says. Um, my my 13-year-old brother absolutely loves them, wears them all of the time. Uh, I don't love the zebra kit. I do think that um, opinions change, and there's definitely a Northern English change is not good to anything. And... That can change over time with people then going, oh, it wasn't so bad that. Um, I didn't like the pink kit at all, but lots of people absolutely loved it. How many times is this third kit going to be worn? Uh, Quite often, by, my by friend. By the team. You think? Uh, so according to UEFA regulations, to push my glasses up, um, this kit will count as Manchester United's light effort compared to the dark efforts of the red and the green. Okay. So you might see this quite often in United away games. If United go to Real Madrid and win 4-0 looking like zebras. I think people will <laughs> definitely look at that kit in a in a slightly different way. It the, is, it's the, totally the, about the result, isn't it? Because the, yeah. that grey kit just gets remembered for the fact that it was, you know, summarily yeah. dismissed. Half-time checking Fergie, you know, basically ended it there and then, didn't he? But sorry, I, I interrupted you there, Andy. Yeah, it's just not a huge deal for me. I, I can see that people talk about it, but I think some of them are just looking to be outraged. It's, okay, this is today's thing to be outraged about. Oh, and were you going to buy it? Oh, no, no, I've not bought a kit for years. All oh, right, okay. And there's, there's a lot of that um, about the kit. It just doesn't bother me. I, I did feel when Adidas uh, got back in, uh, in charge of the kits that, the designs would improve. I think there's been some decent kits. I don't buy the marketing nonsense saying, you know, this is a link back to whatever. I think yeah. <laughs> some of them are so, in, it's so tenuous in the same way that when Nike did the kits, they'd say that this is made out of, you know, reinforced Kevlar, which was used on the moon. And if you wear it, then you will turn into Ronaldo or, or Messi or whatever. <laughs> on the alarm I, I, just, I, I don't buy it, but it's not aimed at me. You know, my little brother, he does buy it and he buys the football boots, which cost a fortune. And he feels that if he wears them, he too will turn into Lionel Messi. Good luck. <laughs> uh, I, I can say this uh, new Manchester United kit apparently harks back to 100 years of stripes, uh, referencing a home game against Sheffield United where Manchester United apparently played in stripes and the design has been hacked and redesigned um the Manchester United will wear this kit in, in white shorts in order to be the light effort for UEFA and uh yeah I've got two of the pink kit at home because I like pink football kits right one final question before we're all done this one is from Martial FC 20 
fantastic Twitter name. And this one is specifically for you, Andy. Was Brian McClare overrated as a player? Marshall FC's dad used to say he was below average and only played thanks to Sir Alex Ferguson. I think that is a little bit unfair on Brian. Uh, he played um, over 400 times for Manchester United. He joined in the summer of 87 and became the first United player since George Best to score more than 20 league goals in a season, 20 years previously. So I loved him. I mean, I was a kid and stand on the Stratford end and I'd sing, he's here, he's there, he's every beep, where Brian McClare. <laughs> or on the Platte Lane at City when he scored two goals as United came back from 3-1 down to draw three all against City there was another song about that one you started singing too soon you thought you'd beat us 3-1 now Howard Kendall has gone because he got sacked after that because of McClare Chucky's a top man he's, he's a really intelligent man he's told me some of the best stories I've ever heard about life at Manchester United uh, I still keep in touch with him but he, he was a Chucky was a top player I'm not saying that he was Eric Cantona but he was versatile he played for a long time. Um, he, he stood his ground with Sir Alex Ferguson. Did have some great arguments, but played 450 times. He scored 127 goals. I think that Chucky should be respected. He wasn't uh, the, the star of the team, but it was really important. And I'll tell you one of the stories he told me. It was once uh, snowing at the cliff, the old training ground, and the manager's office looked over the only training pitch outside and McClare went out and wrote in two metre high letters Fergie is a W A and then the window <laughs> flew open get inside McClare get inside now I reckon only him or Cantona could have got away with that <laughs> top man McClare quick question why do we call him Chucky it rhymed with chocolate <laughs> Eclair and he picked up the name when he played for Celtic where he was hugely successful and I don't know why <laughs> the two of them oh no no Chocolate Eclair McClair because it rhymed Chocky Eclair McClair that was it this is a fantastic podcast I've learnt today uh, why Brian McClair is called Chocky and I've also learnt that Stephen Pina is a coach for Ajax I had no idea about that one did you Laurie? Uh, well I, I didn't to be honest uh, is, that, <laughs> is that a new thing Andy? He joined in the summer. Stephen also coaches a team of refugees in Amsterdam. And he's a really interesting guy. I knew him when he was at Dortmund. And then uh, he had to be persuaded to... David Moyes had to be persuaded to take him to Everton. But he became one of Everton's best players. And he, he earned a big move to, to Tottenham. And uh, he speaks nine languages as well. Several of them wow. are Afrikaans. But yeah, I've, got, uh, I've known Stephen for 15 years. And he's doing well coaching at Ajax and... I wouldn't be surprised if he moved up and became uh, a successful manager. And he spoke well of Donny. And every time I speak to him, I ask him to apologise for scoring the goal which stopped United winning the league mm. in 2012. And every time he tells me where to go. <laughs> Good. Thanks for listening. We're going to be back soon. Don't forget you can enjoy loads more Manchester United writing over on The Athletic. Access is currently free to new subscribers for 30 days by going to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Other than that, it's a goodbye from Laurie. Goodbye, guys. Goodbye from Andy. Cheers, everyone. And goodbye from me. 
Thanks for listening to Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week.